Here's my Bible. I was looking for it all over the house this morning. Okay, got a different one then. That before we begin, I, I wanted to just say welcome to Julie. Uh, Ju- I just met Julie this morning. She was playing and singing. I don't, I'm not even sure I know your last name. So, but Julie, we're so grateful. Is it Scaff? Is that right? Yes, I got it right. But we're so grateful. Another one of our wonderful NIAC students coming to, to bless us and, and worship with us. So, we're so glad that you're here uh, with us this morning. Um, I, I wanted to start uh, this morning. I, um, I don't know if you ever have just these weird thoughts, and I this is a uh, a sort of a window into my mind, which is, this is not a good, just, you know, you sometimes have just thoughts that are just bizarre, you know, like the kind of, the kind of thoughts where, you know, like the, I think we even have a children's, we have some kid's book about um, this kid who, I think he's a bear, I'm not even sure what he is, but he always, he has this recurring dream that he goes to school without his pants, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Is anybody familiar with this story? Anyway, so sometimes you just have these really weird thoughts, and I, sometimes I'll, this is a really weird one, but this here's the thought. Imagining what, what as, as the pastor of this church, if I were to come up here, what would be things that I would say um, that would immediately send people running for the doors um, and maybe get me in trouble, you know, with, with P, the elders might have to, I don't know, maybe Steve would have to come up and tackle me or something like that, and maybe there'd be a meeting afterwards. And I suppose there's a lot of things that I could say, but, but certainly I suppose if I got up here and I just started swearing, right? If I got up here and I just started cussing and I, and I started to say four-letter words, I, I think people would, well, you might run for the doors. I'm, I'm, I'm not really sure what happened because, because cussing is not appropriate in church, right? It's not, that's just not appropriate in church. In fact, However, what I would contend, actually, is that cussing is not appropriate anywhere. It's not appropriate anywhere. And, and, you know, uh, what I mean by that is actually because some of you are like, well, yeah, it it shouldn't be appropriate anywhere. Uh, But it is in some places, right? I mean, because you should should come to my workplace. I mean, it's, it's accepted there. It's not appropriate, but it's accepted. Right? I mean, isn't it true there are some places where cussing is accepted? I mean, you know, you go to your, your office party, you go to whatever, and, and you're like, uh, are you trying to tell me they, they accept it there? Well, <clears throat> what, what, I, what I mean by that, actually, is that you see in different cultures and in different contexts, different words are unacceptable. And, and so you, you might actually discover, actually, that that, that in some contexts, this is what's kind of bizarre, there is a four-letter word, there is a four-letter word that is not acceptable anywhere. Anywhere outside the church. There is a four-letter word that is not acceptable just about anywhere outside the church. In fact, it's not even accepted, truthfully, in some churches, this four-letter word is not accepted even in churches. In fact, if you, if you say this four-letter word, at work, at a party, you know, somewhere like that. If you say this four-letter work, they might not invite you back. If you use this four-letter word at somebody's uh, Thanksgiving dinner, they, they might not have you back. In fact, if the truth is, at some churches, if you use this four-letter word, they, they, might, they might not come back either. And you know what that four-letter word is? S-I-N, sin. Okay, it's only three letters. I realize that. But, but listen, sin in our culture, 
has become a four-letter word. Sin has become, you don't talk about sin. Right, our culture has sort of moved past sin. Sin is so, in, in the, we're, we're progressive. We've moved beyond that. We've moved beyond sin. So don't talk about sin, right? I mean, to talk about sin, well, it's, it's like telling a four-letter word in church. It's just, it's not acceptable in our culture and, and even in some churches to talk about sin. Like if I tell you this sermon's about sin, hey, invite all your friends. The pastor's going to talk about sin. You know, how many people are going to come to that? But, but here's the interesting thing. I would, I would contend, actually, that though our, our culture uh, says they're not, they, they don't believe in sin, I'd say that actually in our world, people are just as concerned with sin and sinning as they ever have. That, that in, our, in, our, in our culture, people are just as concerned with sin, and, 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 and our people in our culture spend their lives doing everything they can to avoid sin. They don't realize it. They don't admit it, but they do. And actually, for us to understand that, we've got to get a little bit deeper. Into, well, what, what, what do we mean by sin anymore? What is that? What is that? And, and I, I think I can just kind of give you a basic definition of sin. Here's what sin is. Sin is disobeying the commands of your God. Sin is disobeying the commands of your God. The, the, the Bible talks about sin, and, and in the Old Testament, there's kind of the imagery of some of the word language is that of, of missing the mark, like an archer shooting an arrow, and it, it misses the mark. It misses the center of the mark. And so, so to sin is, if the center of the mark is to obey the commands of the God of the Bible, then to sin is to miss the mark. So, so sin is, is, when you, is when you disobey the commands of your God. And so, of course, the, the Bible lays out here the commands that, that the, the God of the Bible gives us. And starting with Exodus, right, in Exodus 20, we get these, these commands, these Ten Commandments. And I think what's interesting is if you, if you look at the first commandment that is given in the Ten Commandments, we reveal something kind of interesting about sin. It's very interesting. The first commandment says this, you shall have no other gods before me. That's the first command. And, and I think that's kind of interesting because I think what's kind of, in a certain sense, what's going on here is, is God is, you know, l- later on in the commands, he's going to start giving some, some very concrete guidelines for how life is to be lived out within his kingdom. That if, you, if, you, if you're going to live within the kingdom of God, then these are the guidelines that you should follow. And, and that, you know, we're just going to set up this, this community that's going to follow these these commands and these guidelines to create this community. And I think what's going on here is that to a certain extent what God is saying is, you know what, though, before, we, before we lay out what these guidelines are practically for how you ought to live, let's make sure you really want to follow me in the first place. Let's make sure that I'm really your God. Because it doesn't really make any, I give you all the commands I like, but if I'm not really your God, it's really not going to make a whole lot of difference. Because what he's saying is, he's saying there are other gods. There are other gods that you can worship. And here's, here's what we need to understand. These gods have commands that need to be obeyed. The God of the Bible isn't the only one that has commands to be obeyed. 
other gods that, that we might be drawn to, that we might, we might worship, they actually have commands that also need to, need to be obeyed. And, and, and so, so, so what, what am I... Uh, what am I talking about? And, and, and if you, if you break, here's the key, if you break those commands, listen to this, if you break those commands, you've sinned against that God. So if you follow this other God, there are going to be commands that you must follow, and if you break those commands, you have sinned against that God, and you've sinned against the people that follow that God. So let's, let's, uh, Let's, kind of, let's break this down practically. I, I would submit to you that there are some gods of New Jersey. There are gods of New Jersey. Uh, there are gods that we worship that are, that maybe in our mind we don't say that we worship, uh, but our hearts do. Maybe those on the outside, they say, yeah, I worship those gods. <laughs> I definitely do, right? Uh, but, but there are gods that we, that we worship, and they have commands, and they, they have commands that need to be, to be followed. They have laws. There are laws of the gods of New Jersey. I, I'm not talking about the state laws of New Jersey. I'm not talking about that, although I would submit to you that the state laws of New Jersey, eventually what they do is eventually they reflect the fundamental laws of the gods that the people in New Jersey worship, you see. So even the state laws ultimately will reflect the laws of the more fundamental laws of the gods that people in New Jersey worship, just like actually in the Bible, you're given the Ten Commandments, and then the rabbis kind of come along, and, and they're, they're, they write more laws to sort of apply these more fundamental Ten Commandments. And I would suggest that to a certain extent, that's what happens in, uh, in state legislation and even legislation in your house, uh, right? We, we come up with, with laws that reflect the laws of the gods that we worship, but, but here's the thing. You're like, what are you talking about, Kevin? I, where, I've never seen these commands. What? And that's the thing. See, the gods of New Jersey are so, they're so deceptive. They don't even have the decency to write. I mean, at least the God of the Bible lays them out for you. I mean, here they are. Here are my commands for you to follow. The gods of New Jersey, they, they don't really, you know, just kind of lay them out for you. Oh, but they're there. We all know them. We hear them, we, we come across them everywhere that we go. Would you like to look at some of them? <laughs> Audience response, can always count on Paul Seibert. Never. <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> He's never done that before. <laughs> Would you like to see some of the commands of the gods of New Jersey? All right, I'm going to give you the Ten Commandments of the gods of New Jersey. Now, no, before, we go, before we go there... I mean, look, this is the point. They're not, they're not written down anywhere. So there's a, you know, there's a matter of opinion here. And it's, some of you may, may be like, oh, I'm not sure that that quite measures up. Some of you from New Jersey uh, might, you know, you might say, well, Kevin, you don't really know New Jersey that well. And so you, you, you would add your own and take some away and say, well, you're overemphasizing that and underemphasizing this. And, and that's fine. The point isn't actually whether or not I got all of these commands right. The point is that they're there. But let's, let's go ahead and take a look at them, right? Let, let's look at the first Commandment. You ready for the first one? Thou shalt have no gods before you. Well, it sounds kind of like the first. Oh, it's just like the Bible. Thou shalt have. It's not. No, no. The Bible says thou shalt have no other gods before me. God say no gods before me. But the, the first commandment of, of the, the Ten Commandments of the gods in New Jersey is thou shalt have no gods before you. You'd better obey yourself. 
You had better be true to yourself or you've sinned. The second one kind of flows out of it. Second one, uh, thou shalt not exercise, thou shalt not exercise self-control, but must obey everything your desires tell you to do. Do not hold back, but in all things, let it go, let it go. Get behind me, self-control. I mean, you know, the, the, the command, there's no, there's no Bible for the, uh, the, the gods of New Jersey, but there's a hymnal. I mean, you can make a lot of money writing hymns for the gods of New Jersey. I mean, you think the content on HBO is bad. At least you know, at least you know it's pulling you away from what God wants of you. I don't know, maybe I'm overanalyzing Frozen. I don't really know. But, but you see what I'm going here, right? This is it. Let it go, right? Just don't hold back. Number three. Thou shalt not not covet thy neighbors. That's thy neighbors, sorry. Thou shalt not not covet thy neighbor's house or wife. You owe it to yourself to never be content with what you have. You owe it to yourself to never be content with what you have, and you must surrender completely to the pursuit of more. If you become content with what you have, it's like burying your treasure in the ground. Okay, number four. Thou shalt not take a day of rest, but must never stop until you work yourself back into the ground from whence you came. I don't know if that's how you use the word whence, but it just sounded good. Number five, let's try number five here. Yeah, this one comes out of number four. Thou shalt not give your children free time, but must endlessly run them from one extracurricular activity to the next, or else you are a lazy or cheap parent who is hindering their ability to obtain an acceptable future, thereby robbing yourself of the God-given right to boast about your children. Right? Number six. Thou shalt not go skimpy on your daughter's wedding, graduation party, sweet 16 party, sweet 15 party, sweet 14 party. I mean, come on, New Jersey. What is with this? Sweet three-year-old party, but must spend at least as much as her best friend's parents did on their daughter, even if it means sacrificing your retirement and putting a second mortgage on your house. Is this not true? Right? And if you don't, you're sinning against the gods of New Jersey and the community who follow these gods. Next one. Number seven, thou shalt not let your wife be seen driving the same car or wearing the same shoes for more than a few years. Okay, we can go to the next one, number eight. Thou shalt not have a salary of less than, I don't know, you guys know better than I do, per year, or you will be banished to the leper camps in South Rivervale. <laughs> oh, you just moved to the area. Rivervale, yeah, from Rivervale. Uh, North or south? Next one. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not have anyone over to your house unless everything is put away or else they will know you are either lazy or too cheap to hire help. Uh, Number 10, number 10. Thou shalt not stop working out until you look like the latest action hero or bond girl or your neighbor may never covet you. Right? What if you what if what if he doesn't look at me when I go out to get the mail? 
sin. Number 11, thou shalt not refuse the sexual advances of someone you are attracted to, nor restrict yourself to staying with the same person. Remember, 60 is the new 20, but with money. And number 12, thou shalt not eat bagels made out of New Jersey. Listen, I'll be honest with you, I don't know how Moses missed this one. <laughs> I confess, I lived in sin for 30 years, 36 years. I, I, my family, we ate Lender's bagels, these prepackaged bagels from the store. I, I have repented of my sin. <laughs> you see, th- these are the commands of the gods of New Jersey. And you might say, you know, maybe I didn't get them quite right. Maybe you'd add something. Maybe, maybe you, would, you would take some away. But, but these, are the, the, these are the commands of the gods. This is like this. And, and there's other gods, right? I'm missing some things. I mean, and even different areas in America, you go, there's gods of, of Boston, for example. So in, in, in Boston, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not how much money you have. Because you notice that a lot of that, what you notice there is with New Jersey, one of the main gods is money, right? And so you see that kind of working gets through. The money's writing out all of his commands, right? And so that, that's in New Jersey. You go to Boston, it's not quite the same. It's a little bit different. It's not money that's the god, it's knowledge, so there, it's not how much money do you have, it's how many degrees do you have, right? It, it, it's, it's, not, it's not how many toys do you have, it's uh, how many articles have you published. You see, you can, you can move around, you can go around into different areas, and you'll find different gods, and they have commands that if they are not o- obeyed, then you have sinned against them, and, and here's, here's what we need to see. They're impossible to keep. You can't keep up. You cannot follow these commands. Now, listen, listen, listen. Here's here's what we're going to see, and we've seen this as we, well, as you go through the Bible, you discover this, and the Apostle Paul talks about this, that the commands of God are also impossible to keep. It's true. I mean, and and Paul says this in Romans 7. He's like, I tried. I I can't do it. I, I can't follow the commands of God. And so I get it. I get it, right? I mean, if you, if you go through life and you're just trying to follow the commands of God, you're trying as hard as you can, and you live in a community where your worth and your value and your acceptance is based on whether or not you can follow the Ten Commandments, I can see why you'd run. I can see why I'm, I forget sin. I'm getting, I'm getting out of here. The problem is you're just going to run to another God who also has commands that can't be obeyed. This comes through powerfully. Um, in the movie Whiplash. It's a movie that, that won a number of Academy Awards a couple of years ago. And, and that, that, you know what that movie's about? It's about salvation by works. That's what that whole movie's about. It's about salvation by works. Uh, it, 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 different God. It's in this context, it's the God probably of music, I guess, is what it would be. It's the story of this this college kid, I think he's in college, and, and he's part of a jazz band in college, and it's all about him trying to, to perform, right? His salvation, his acceptance within the community of people who worship this God is based on his performance, and so, and so it's, not, it's not good works for him. It's not a matter of moral performance. It's, it's not a matter of whether or not his, his morality is perfect. It's a matter of whether or not his tempo and his dynamics are perfect. And if he goes too fast, or he goes too slow, or he's too loud, or he's too soft, 
Then the priest of the God of music, which is the band teacher, then he lets him know and he pours out the wrath of God on him. And actually, that's why I don't actually necessarily recommend the movie because uh, talk about four-letter words. Uh, When the wrath of God comes from this priest, he just lets it loose. Uh, It's a classic example of how Hollywood has forgotten about the art of subtlety. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily recommending the movie. Apparently, uh, the Academy likes a lot of swearing because he, he won an Academy Award uh, for his performance. Actually, it was a really good performance, but that's, it was just way over the top. So I'm not, I'm not recommending it. But the, the point is, is that when he would sin, when the, the student would sin uh, uh, against the, the god of music, he's too fast, he's too slow, he's too loud, he's too soft, then the priest... The music teacher would, would let him know and pour out his wrath. And so the whole movie is about him just endlessly pursuing acceptance by this community of, of well, by the priest, actually. Salvation by works. You see, if you run from the God of the Bible because you're like, I, I can't, I'm not going to try to, I can't keep up with these commands and, and trying to obey all of this and, and it's freedom. I'm free from it. I'm going to run from it. You're just going to run to another God who has commands that can't be obeyed. So what's the difference? What's the difference between the gods of New Jersey and the God of the Bible? The gods of New Jersey won't die for you. With the gods of New Jersey, there is no forgiveness. But with the God of the Bible, there's something entirely different. And that's what this passage is about in Luke. We're continuing in our series called The Story. The central message of this whole series is that if you want to understand any passage in the Bible, you've got to understand how it fits into the story, the overarching narrative of Scripture, that the the Bible is a story, and it unfolds in these four acts, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Creation, God created everything, and he created it good. He created us to be in fellowship with him, be in communion with him, but we decided to turn away. We sinned against God. That's That's the fall. But God, because he loves us, he had a plan for redemption. So he called out a people. He called out Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He called out Israel. And he called out a people to be the means through which redemption comes to this world. And what he did is he gave us these commands, the Ten Commandments, these blueprints for beautiful community. Because you see, here's another thing, and this is another whole sermon. Here's another whole sermon is that that he gave the Ten Commandments because if you obey them, they would lead to life. You see, the problem with the, the commandments of the gods of New Jersey is that it's death either way. I mean, even if you obey them, I mean, you just, just never get there. You can, it's, it's never even, you, then you discover, right? I mean, I, I share this all the time, this song by John Mary about it. He's like, I've got everything. I've got everything, right? I mean, this was a number of years ago. And, and he's like, I've got everything. Like he was, you know, he was perfect and for a while in the eyes of, of the way the world sees the, these, these commands. I mean, yeah, all those commands that I went through, he had all that stuff, right? And, and in that song, he's like, I've got everything, but there's still something still missing. Like even if you obey, it doesn't give it to you, right? But that's another whole sermon, right? Because the commands of God, they lead to life. Again, that's another 
another whole sermon. So he, he, he gives us the commands that, that would lead to life if we follow them. But, but again, this is the point that, that they weren't able to follow them. They weren't able to obey them. And so the, the people of Israel, they, it was almost worse because now they knew what the commands were, but they weren't able to, they weren't able to obey them, right? And so, so then when Jesus comes, and this, this, is, this, is, this brings us to our passage here, and what Jesus is doing in this passage at the beginning of it is he's calling them out for their sin. Jesus is calling the people of God, he's calling the Israelites out for their sin. So here, what's the context here? So Jesus, Jesus has been sentenced to be executed, to be crucified by the Roman Empire. Uh, why is he being crucified? Uh, well, as uh, Pontius Pilate, the Roman uh, official, says, he doesn't really have a reason, doesn't really have a good reason for it, but this is politics, right? So in politics, you don't really have to have a reason. You just, you just got to do it. it. It was political pressure, right? Political pressure, actually. Uh, and what it was is that the people of Israel were inciting him to, to kill Jesus, and so so he kind of he kind of caved in, which is which is kind of interesting, right? Um, because why uh, why why were the why did the Israelites want Jesus to be killed? Well, because he was calling them out for their sin, and, and he was you know throughout his ministry he's calling them out in a number of different ways. But really, what a lot of what it boils down to is what Jesus stood is he took the Ten Commandments um, and he he boiled the Ten Commandments right down. Uh, he said, well, it all, it's all summed up in these two commands. Love God and love your neighbor. Love God and love your neighbor. And, but then when he would unpack what it meant to love your neighbor, your neighbor included your enemy. And so you're called to love your enemy. Uh, and this was not okay um, with the people of Israel because loving your enemy meant loving the Romans. And the Romans wanted to, or the, the Israelites wanted to destroy the Romans, wanted to destroy their enemies. He's just saying, you got you to gotta love your, your enemies. So you see, it's kind of ironic here, actually, because Jesus is being, <laughs> he's being crucified um, by the Romans for telling the Jews not to attack the Romans. He's being crucified by the Romans for telling the Israelites not to fight against the Romans. And so that's just what Jesus is doing. He's, he's calling them out for their sin. And what, and what he's doing, see what you see here, is in this passage, he's calling them out for their sin. And he's saying, listen, listen, your sin is going to lead to destruction. The wages of sin is death. And Paul says this later on, the wages of sin is death. And that's actually kind of what Jesus is saying here in this passage. He's telling the Israelites, listen, if you go against my commands, I'm telling you to love your enemies. If you try to fight against your enemies, it's going to lead to your own destruction. That's what he's saying here. He, he, so he's going up to be crucified. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Now, who are these women? There's, there's scholarly debate about who these women were, but it, it seems like it was a mixture probably of people that, that were close to Jesus, but then also just people in the community because they had a, this really interesting custom in that culture. And you saw it uh, most prominently at funerals where at a funeral... Um, everybody, all of the women would cry and moan and wail. I mean, even if they didn't really know the person, they just kind of know the person that had passed away, they would still do this. And the reason that they would do that is to make it easier for the, the people who were really affected by it 
you know, to, to cry. Because the reality is you go to an American funeral and it, sometimes it's awkward for the family of the person who has passed away where it's, you know, quiet and, and they're, they're crying and all the attention is on them. So they had this really rather beautiful custom where all of the women would come around and cry uh, with them. And so, so the point is they're not necessarily all really followers of Jesus. They're probably not. And, and so Jesus is calling, he's calling them, as people of Israel, he's calling them out for their sin, and he's warning them. He's warning them if they don't turn, then, then they're going to get destroyed. In other words, if they don't turn, then what's happening to him is going to happen to them. And he couldn't put it in more stark language, as Jesus, you know, often does rhetorically. Here, he says, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never curse. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. What he's saying here, you've got you to realize how ironic this is, right? He's saying that the blessed, the blessed people at this time, when this happens, the people who will be considered blessed will be the women who weren't able to have children. Now, you've got to realize how ironic that is because throughout the Bible, throughout the history of the people of Israel, one of the greatest tragedies that could ever happen to a woman was not being able to have a child. And so Jesus is completely turning it on its head. He's saying, it's going to be so bad that those people that used to, used to, used to see as like cursed or whatever, you're going to say blessed are them. Why? Because it's going to be so bad you are not going to want your children to go through it. Of course, what is he prophesying? He's prophesying about the destruction of Jerusalem, which came about 30-some years later. Because what happened? They didn't listen, and they revolted. The Jewish revolt. They rebelled. They decided to try to conquer their enemies. They wanted to fight against them. The problem was is that for the Israelites, fighting against the Romans was like an ant trying to knock down an elephant. So the Romans just came in and destroyed them. So, so Jesus is saying, he's saying, your sin is going to lead to your own destruction. So then the rest of the passage, you know what he's saying? Let me be your substitute. Let me take it for you. Let me be the one that dies in your place at the hands of your enemies. Again, you see, you see the irony here. Jesus is being crucified by the enemies of Israel for telling the people of Israel not to fight against their enemies. So he's innocent, right? And that's what emerges here in this talk. This man is innocent. If ever there was someone innocent, it's Jesus. And he's saying, let me stand in your place. Friends, no matter how you go in your life, you're going to worship a God. You're going to worship a God who has commands. And they're commands that, sh- that cannot be obeyed. They are commands that you will, you will never you will never get there. Your house will never be clean enough. Uh, you will, you will never, your house will never be big enough. Uh, you, you'll, you'll never have You'll never get there. You'll, you'll never feel like you're there. And, and you see, so in the end, it, it doesn't make any difference. You're never going to be accepted. You're, you're always going to be in this constant striving. And there's no forgiveness. 
And so when you turn back to God, when you turn back to the commands of God, because you realize, boy, I haven't really even been trying to follow those. Then you realize what Jesus is saying, that the wages of sin is death. That to reject the real God. You know, you know why the God of New Jersey isn't going to die for you? Because they're not real. They're made up. Of course they're not going to die for you. You see, when you turn away from the God who created all things, that sustains all things, you are turning away from life itself. And so when you turn back, you realize how far off your life has been and that you are headed for destruction, and it's eternal destruction. It's eternal death. It's, 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 Jesus is using this language to try to communicate just how terrible this is. But if you will just confess. And Jesus says, let me die in your place. And then you can be welcomed into the presence of God. You can be accepted. Because you see, in the end, this is all about, it's all about acceptance. Whether you're trying to be accepted by community of followers of the gods of New Jersey, you're trying to be accepted by some sort of religious community, I mean, I get it. I mean, I get it. I mean, if you grew up in a religious environment, right? You grew up in a religious environment where, where your worth and your value and your acceptance was based on how well you kept the Ten Commandments. And, and like, not just the way Moses says it, but the way Jesus says it. Because Jesus comes along and he's like, oh, you know what? It's way deeper than you thought. I mean, you thought it was just like if I murder somebody. Well, I haven't murdered anybody. He's like, no, you call a brother, brother a fool. You're in danger of the fires of hell. You thought, oh, if I just don't commit adultery? No, 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 no. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her within his heart. And if you grow up in a religious community where your worth and your value is based on whether or not you measure up to the criteria that Jesus has laid out, I understand why you're going to run. I understand why you're going to say, forget that. But you're just going to run to another God who's going to lay out a bunch of commands that you can't follow either, but he's not going to die for you. There will be no acceptance. You'll never quite feel like, like you're there. But you see, Jesus died as our substitute, and it says that the veil was torn. What is that talking about? It's talking about, about, about the veil within the temple that, that kept out people from the most, inner, the most inner chamber, the holy of holies, the presence of God. You could not be in the presence of God because you're not, not acceptable to God. But Jesus died to forgive you that you can fully go in, that your, your worth and your value isn't based on your performance. If you follow the gods of New Jersey, your worth and your value absolutely is based on your performance. And no matter how far you get, you will never get there. You will never find that peace. But the heart of the gospel is that our worth and our value is not based on our performance when we confess faith in Jesus who died to take upon himself the judgment that we deserve so that we can enter freely into the presence of God. Friends, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, if you will just confess, 
if you will just come back and say, Jesus, you, you are what I need more than anything. That's why everything that we do in this church always brings us back to the cross because th- this is where life is found. This is where your worth and your value and your acceptance is found. Friends, wherever you've been, whatever you have done, just come before the Lord. Confess your sin before him. And allow him to take the judgment that you deserve upon himself. Let him be your substitute. Let's pray. Dear God, we praise you. We praise you for your grace. God, we confess that we have not loved you with our actions, with our thoughts. God, that though our, <coughs> in our minds we, we proclaim you as our God, our hearts so often worship another God. God, as we reflect upon the cross, may we be drawn back into your presence. God, may we rest in you. 